drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome to Drive-By Cinema, Episode 9. The podcast where two people trapped in COVID lockdown pick a sci-fi movie a week to watch and then try to figure it out. And COVID lockdown shows no sign of abating right now, does it? I ask my co-host Paul. Uh, It doesn't, I reply to my co-host Richard, and hello everybody. No, I mean, we're stuck in this and uh, it's becoming almost, I don't know, unending. I think we're going into another lockdown phase, a second lockdown. Is this, I mean, how do we define lockdown? I think we're all confused as to what lockdown might or might not mean by, at this point. It's very simple, Paul. And for all those future historians doing a thesis on the COVID pandemic of <laughs> 2020, who have found this podcast as part of their research, it's very simple. The rules are you can't meet six people or more you can meet fewer inside a house, but you can go to a pub or a bar or a restaurant with more than six people, as long as you don't know the six people and don't meet them. And outside, ah, you can meet six people as long as you do know them. There we go. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's a six rule. You can meet six people, yeah, as long as you do know them. Six is okay. And you can meet more than six. You can meet more than six if, if you pretend that you meet them by accident. If you don't know them, yeah. If you've never met them. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that is what lockdown means. It's 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 a relatively simple combination of greater than and less than uh, logic clauses, isn't it, really? It could be described in a page's worth of Venn diagrams, I think. <laughs> and no more. Well, you know, you've hit my favourite subject here, is describing Venn diagrams through an audiographic medium, like, like a podcast. A very powerful way of communicating. Oh, you do a lot of that, do you? That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was under a misappreh- misapprehension here. I thought this Sisyphean task that we do every week of uh, of enduring lockdown. Uh, you're saying we're here to. What was our purpose here tonight? I thought it was to document our our cooped up madness, our progressive descent into into head scratching, wall wall beating madness. I mean, our deterioration. Yes, yes I suppose you. that's true. So I, I don't know how other people are facing up to this. Is it the fifth or third or fourth lockdown for some people? I don't know. Well, it depends where you live, Paul. I don't think your particular region has been super locked down for a while, has it? But here in Greater Manchester, we've been suffering under the second a lot. Well, I mean, I, what, I mean, what I mean by lockdown is any changing rule that remains a lockdown, but is either more severe or more lax than a previous lockdown. I think you've been through about five or six, haven't you, over there in... Uh, in uh, Noel Gallagher Town? Well, there was one lockdown where we were all locked down. And then there was a lockdown where we could have a bubble of other people we could go and visit. And then we de-locked yeah. down and everyone said, you can go back to work now, but nobody did. And now we're on the rule of six, aren't we? So you're four. You're four in. Hands, face, space. Hands, face, space. Interestingly, apparently they've got the order wrong on that. It should be space, hands, face in terms of importance. Yes, Clearly. But no one pays any attention to any of it anyway, as I discovered when I went into town yesterday. Well, I, I, I'm, I've signed up to the uh, the King's College app, or I did do several months ago, and I, I now I sort of log in my details along with four million other people. Every day? Uh, not every day. I should do it every day, but about twice a week. The COVID-19 Symptoms Study app. 
the C19 symptom study app. And uh, of course, they have the uh, little chart, the color coded chart of each area of the country. And previously, you know, my area had been uh, a very, a very fawny, a very, very light, creamy kind of uh, fawn magnolia. Or this something. is a bit like describing Venn diagrams. It is on, rather, on, yes. On an audio Wh- whereas now the entire country is just a sea of red. Well, the doubling period, according to the Symptom Tracker app, is now down to seven days. Oh, that would be implying R of about 1.3 or 1.4, would it not? Bad, isn't it? Gosh. Well, it means we're going to have to come up with a whole load of more sci-fi movies, I think. Which is a bit of a problem, because I know we're both running <sighs> But what did you pick for us this week, Paul? I somewhat lackadaisically picked a... I think it's a made-for-Netflix called Tau. T-A-U Tau. You were very keen on this. I was, you were... yes. No more. Well, I was too as well. I was I was all on board for this. It sounded ideal. There's some kind of AI. There's a woman being kidnapped. Not that I'm excited about that, but it sounds like an interesting idea. I was pleased that you chose this, yeah, and I look forward to seeing it. I think you're allowed to be excited by women being kidnapped. You know, you might enjoy the idea, the, the, the chase of them being released kind of thing. I don't necessarily imputes anything about you, Richard. Oh, thank you for saying so. That's because I have faith in your character. Other people might have a different perspective on that. Well, I'm speaking here to the future historians who are listening. <laughs> not your not your crime biographer. Okay. So... Safeguarding my legacy, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richard. As ever, uh, your workmanship, your industrious attitude has dri- taken us on to the second section of this, uh, this podcast, which is what? Corrections, did you say, or something? Uh, not corrections, but it does mean listener feedback. Ah. And this time... Any business, as they say. Any other business. Normally at the end of a meeting, but we do it at the beginning. Because we're unconventional like that. Now, in the US Army, there's a term for this. It is BLUF. What's that? That is bottom line up front. Oh, right. Nice. BLUF. Because, of course, when the army when the army was working with, say, academics, there were two very different ways of communicating. You know, academics present a paper, and they have like a little what they call the abstract at the beginning, which says nothing. And then you have to wade through the graphs and the reports to get to the conclusion right at the end. And, of course, army people don't like that. They want the conclusion up at the top. Impatient. Mm-hmm. It's impatient, isn't it? It's a bit like those telephone numbers, you know, 01253, There are reasons why different numbers have different numbers kind of thing. Yeah. Well, what is that reason? Well, national emergencies... What, well, what number is it? Well, 01 for London is obviously the quicker thing to dial if you're dialing on, on a traditional sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, the ring dial phone where you have to... A rotary, a rotary dial phone, yes. You have to wait for the ricochet to occur. Ah, oh, so in a national emergency, if yeah. you want to call London, you can just go 01. Hello, London. <laughs> Hello, London. There's an emergency... All Londoners should report to the London Underground. <laughs> what do you mean? Our new future monarch is about to be about to be taking his his lintel. Please cancel the BBC for a whole day. <laughs> the thing is, have you, do you know yes. about the telephone preference service? I do know about that because I used to be a telemarketer, or rather, I used to be the ah. HR, the acting HR, and the non-acting. QC and QA manager for a telemarketing company. So my QC and QA role in particular led me to a head-on collision with the TPS, or Telephone Preference Service. Is this your admission to your future crime biographer? (laughs) 
One of them, yes. This is the joy of having a multiple personality disorder, you know. I'm probably going to have several crime biographers. I, I may have got this wrong. I think there may be multiple uses of a similar phrase. But that's not the telephone preference service I'm referring to. There is a scheme. Oh, you're, you're referring to the imaginary one then. Oh, great. Yes. Well, No, listen. In the event of an emergency, there is a sort of national policy to shut down the telephone network, except for certain privileged uh, lines. Because otherwise, the concern is, in the event of a national emergency, everyone will be phoning their family and stuff, and their loved ones. The telephone network would be brought to a, a halt. And so the plan is that if something bad happens, they just shut off all of the phones, except for Whitehall and the Department of Defence and key workers. Ah, so at that point you find out if you're important or not in the country's uh, infrastructure. Exactly. I mean, these days there are ways around it, yeah. All we have to do is, like, is during normal peace peacetime is to sort of record the voices of other people that we're close to and then have an automatic setup that when you try and dial them, something on your own phone plays back a message saying sorry in their voice, in the other person's voice saying sorry, I can't get to the phone right now because it's a national emergency. Calm down and call me later, you know. We could do that. We could we could oh. dupe people into thinking that the telephone system was still working. We should we should do an app for this, Paul. Yeah, I think that, what would we call this app? Well, I think we're going to have to flesh the details out offline because we've now only got two weeks to complete an app before someone else gets this idea. <laughs> now, the next national emergency will probably be the passing of the monarch. What are you saying, Paul? Sounds like well, this is the when third a monarch time dies. Mentioned this in when a monarch dies, yeah. they are passed down the table, aren't they? Could you pass me the monarch, okay. please? This is what we call the passing of the monarch. <laughs> the salt, pepper, and the monarch, please. You know, it's a very polite, arcane system that I don't, as a, yeah, as a Republican, I don't pretend to understand, but this is what happens. The passing of the monarch. You're a Republican. I wouldn't say staunchly or resolutely, but uh, it depends if you mean banana republic or not. <laughs> the Republican society were recently saying, you know, that constitutional monarchies uh, are not a good indicator of continuing democracy. Neither is the status of republic, to be fair. You know, republics are often not democratic and don't stay democratic either. So I'm not that kind of person who is anti-monarchical from a a, a very fundamental perspective. Uh, It's more pragmatics for me. Yeah, I very much don't want uh, Prince Charles to be the head of state. But there you go, what can you do? You don't pick him. So you want him to be unheaded or rather beheaded? Careful what you say, Richard. Your second second crime (laughs) biographer is waiting in the wings. I'm simply saying from a historical perspective, <laughs> the precedent of cutting the heads off kings kings of Charles yes. doesn't work out too well, does it? It doesn't. Look how Richard is distancing himself very cleverly from that, from the association of that idea right now. It doesn't work out now. No. Well, this is the point. You know, the other thing is uh, I'm very ambivalent and ambiguous as towards Scottish devolution. Any of our Scottish friends listening uh, right now. But what I would say is that the union itself between Scotland and England wasn't, it wasn't an unequal treaty, like, for example, the annexation of Wales or parts of Ireland by, by England or, or what was the larger union of England and Scotland at the time. Uh, and the reason Scotland is where it is today in many respects is because of the, uh, the folly of New Caledonia, which was the first Scottish colony, wasn't it? I mean, essentially Scotland bankrupted itself by heading towards the Mosquito Coast and uh, sinking all their money into into a colony that didn't work. And, and, and I think that was the impetus for a lot of the 
economic reasoning behind union with, with, with England at the time. So so monarchs and Scottish people, I'm I'm very ambivalent about their future. That's a diversion. We're talking about listener listener letters, Richard. Please continue. I had a laundry list of extra facts to talk about with respect ah. to several of our previous movies. I'm not sure go we're on. gonna be able to go through all of them now. But for instance, Duncan Jones, the director of Moon and Mute, and the son of Paul, uh, chip in any time with the son of David Bowie Bowie. Yes, yeah, you've got it. Do you know what his middle name is? David Bowie. No, Duncan Jones, his son. It's not Duncan, and it's probably not Jones. Well, there will be very strange middle names. Duncan Duncan Jones or Duncan Jones Jones. Uh, It's probably not Bowie. No, you're right. It's Zowie. It's what? Zowie with a Z. Oh, Oh wow. David Zowie Jones. Apparently, that, that's what Alistair said. Thank you, Alistair. He also pointed out yes. the identity of Ian Mute, the doctor called uh, Duck. You know, Cactus Bill's Cactus Jack, whatever he's called. Thank God, not the doctor in the beyond. The doctor in the beyond, fa- you know, who favoured the strange phrasing. Uh, what was it? Discomfortability. Complexing. I'm trying to use complexing all the time now. <laughs> Complexity is very good, actually. Uh, sorry, so Duck, which remind me, which was Duck? One was Duck, and one was not called Duck. The one with the sort of blonde bobbed hairstyle. Ah, the one who didn't go stir crazy. Okay, right. The actor who played that guy is from Mash. He is Justin Thoreau, who is Louis Thoreau's cousin. Oh my God! The internecine nature of Hollywood is just un- unfathomable, is it not? This is Kevin Bacon squared. <laughs> There's a bunch of other stuff. I'd like to go through it, but let's move on to the movie that you selected. Corrections. Corrections. Yeah, no, if you've got a correction, fire the correction in there. Okay. So at some point, I don't know which one it was, uh, one of our previous podcasts, I said that the decibel scale was a log scale, which I think it is. I didn't know if pH was a log scale. We were talking about negative pH, so it must have been Cloverfield, the second installment, about the acid that, uh, that, not John Candy, what's his name? John Goodman. John, John Goodman, Goodman so, uses. John Cadley. But, uh, I, I, then I said that the Scoville scale was a log scale. It expressly isn't because it goes into the millions. I mean, you know, imagine a log scale that went into the millions. What kind of what kind of real number that would indicate? So that was a, an, an horrific error on my part. But it's a subjective scale, I think, the Scoville scale. Yes, yeah. Not an absolute scale. Okay, my second correction is, I think, concerning what will be two weeks previous is the uh, Russian movie about about an alien hitchhiking a, a ride on a Sputnik. Sputnik, yes. Sputnik, yeah. Uh, and it was a correction that you corrected me, but I wasn't listening to you during the podcast. I said one of the dead cosmonauts. I should have said the one cosmonaut of the two who is already dead. So, <laughs> you know. A small but necessary correction. Well, while we're on the subject of corrections, I have an embarrassing correction of a correction. Because I think oh, last week... Oh, no! I, oh, no! I made, a, I made an apology that during Tenet, uh, the Tenet episode, yeah. I had mistakenly used the word apero for arepo. It's the other way around. Arepo is the name in the film. Yeah. And I claimed that I had said apero. Uh-huh. But in fact... What actually happened was I corrected all of the aperos to Arepo in the edit by overdubbing myself. 
so that it all sounds correct in the final episode. Oh. I mean, to any future crime biographer, Richard is showing a certain amount of cunning here. Have I broken some kind of ethical boundary by doing that? Yes, you've dropped the you've dropped the audiobook and podcast spirit stick. <laughs> Heinous crime. You shall be condemned to stutter forevermore. Whomsoever is having to do the edit on an episode <laughs> is allowed to correct their own mistakes by overdubbing. Yeah, I mean, are you allowed to sort of edit out the other person's funnier bits? <laughs> That's what I do every week. <laughs> well, potentially. Look, if I ever said anything funny. It's time for a musical sting and on to Tao, this week's film. Oh, oh here we go. So, Paul, why don't you explain what Tao is all about? Mm. Okay, well, I'll try to remain objective here. I don't know. I, I think it's it's rather about <laughs> human in an AI box. Is the only way I can summarise it. I know, that's how you sold it to me. And I was very excited by the idea. And it wasn't that. No, it's not that at all. So, let me turn this back on you, Richard. Me failing to understand what Tao is about, can you... Can you could you neatly encapsulate Tao in, in a few in a few sentences? Well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not really a science fiction movie. Ah, well, I'd agree with you completely on that, yeah. So it's the story of a billionaire CEO of some kind of tech company. He is working on yeah. some kind of AI system. And apparently... His name be Alex. Alex. Apparently, to further his research project, what he needs to do is capture some human beings... I say capture, he doesn't seem to want to get volunteers, uh, put a chip in their head and record their thoughts or their emotions to try and bootstrap his new AI system. Not sure what that achieves or why it's useful, but that's what he's engaged in doing in the uh, the course of this movie. Yes, I, I think we discover this progressively, but rather quickly at the beginning of the movie, don't we? I mean, so we open with a kind of generic dive bar in somewhere in the world where his his ne- cap his next captive is 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 a working girl is she not or something similar we're, supp- we're led to pres- presume no she's a pickpocket she's not oh, a sex worker as far as we that's know that's right she's working the clip joints yes okay what she does is she uh, seduces some guy or other or maybe a girl but we see it he see her with a guy and then she steals his wallet while they're snogging or his iPhone or whatever and she takes them and fences them off. And she gets reprimanded, actually, because she doesn't have an accomplice. She said she's told she would earn more money with an accomplice. And I have to say, I agree with that fence about that. Because <laughs> the way pe- it's the way pickpockets pe- work, isn't it? In teams, yes, yes. And most definitely not eth- ethnographically, you know. Uh, London, London pickpockets definitely do not come from Albania, nor, nor Albania. Or Romania. Okay. Okay, stunned silence there. <laughs> it's an interesting <laughs> observation to make. <laughs> no, I was, I was trying to distance ourselves from the censors, you know. I was saying it de- definitely, they do not come from those areas of Europe. Where else did they not come from? But if they did, they would definitely work in teams, is all I'm saying. And why do pickpockets work in teams? That's the question. I don't it? know. You're saying it makes sense. I don't know if it does. It does. Let me explain. Because the way pickpocketing works is, yeah. obviously, you get close to your victim, you need to get their stuff out of their pockets in some way. And right. 
that is a moment of sleight of hand, of misdirection and stuff. And you pull someone's wallet out. Now, you could do it on your own, of course, at that point and walk away. But most pickpockets, it seems to me, most professionals, what they then do is they immediately hand it off to an accomplice. Because the lift is the easy bit, in a way. I mean, it's technique. You learn how to do it. But it's also risky because you might get caught or you might at least be suspected because of your close proximity to the victim. But if you've handed yeah. the goods off to your accomplice, the accomplice can vacate the scene. You are legally, and you're legally unliable, I would guess. Yeah, there's no evidence anymore, is there? If I bump into you, Paul, and you momentarily think to pat your wallet down, because you've been, someone's yeah. been very close to you, and your wallet is gone, and you accuse me, possibly, you might confront me at that point. Yeah. Well, I, I go, ah, search me. Turn my pockets Not out. There you go. I've not got your wallet. Not unless I put my mice trap around my person. Mice traps. So are you aware of pickpockets when you're in a crowd? Is that what you would do? Would you trap your pockets? Normally I would do, but I've been told that... Well, recently I've become rather PC aware about these things. And, you know, I do pat my pockets down. But what if the person is male or female? or white, or black, you know, at that point, you could be offending people because they're assuming, if they're innocent, that you're patting them down, you're patting your pockets down, not because they're a potential pickpocket, but because of their potential group associations. So I I tend not to do it now, or I do it very quietly, so that people can't judge me. But where do you keep your stuff in your pockets? You're very calm there, Richard, you know, this this revelation of mine, you know, I thought you were going to say, Paul, you're completely mad, go and see a doctor now, except, except you don't, you you. You, you continue with the conversation. Well done. I think you're a budding psychiatrist, Richard. Sorry, what was your question? <laughs> no, I, I think I think everyone has that same sense of self-consciousness about, first of all, feeling perhaps you, you might need to check your pockets. And second of all, not wanting to offend anyone by thinking you think they're a thief. I think that's common experience, yes. actually. Oh, okay. Is that common? I okay. think it is, yeah. I, I just extended it, to, I extended it to a PC kind of... Uh, how will my actions be judged in a in a in a social from a social perspective kind of thing? Okay, which pocket oh. do you put your wallet in? Variable. Uh, it depends how fat I am, and uh, you know if I'm, <laughs> if I'm overweight, then and as I I am at the moment because of lockdown, uh, then I tend to put it in my back jeans pocket because I can feel it. If I'm not overweight, then I would put it in a coat in a pocket. If I'm wearing like a untrendy cagoule kind of effort if I'm in a Noel Gallagher mode if I'm in Manchester but if I'm not in Manchester I would probably put it in my front I don't know what they call it what you call it what's that what's your lower pocket call on your jacket really there's a there's a word for this that pocket you know the pocket that you put your hands in when you're not playing with yourself gosh okay I mean jacket pockets on the outside seem very risky and your back pocket on your jeans that's terribly risky have you never seen any pickpockets working in videos and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. Have you seen the trick where someone's standing behind you in a line, say, uh, and you're at the, the till paying? And what they do is they hold a ribbon just over where your back pocket is. And so when you reach back with your wallet, you shove your wallet in your back pocket, you tuck the ribbon in underneath the wallet, and you don't feel it's there because it's very lightweight. And... That's rather clever, yeah. Yeah, so they just pull the ribbon and the wallet comes out. But you're safe anyway, aren't you? Very dangerous place. You're safe because... Who, who's safe? Well, anybody from pit pockets, because at the point 
when they've stolen uh, the, the the when they've done the lift and are about to pass it on, they have to break out into a chorus of food, glorious food, don't they? By law. <laughs> so uh, there's a girl in a futuristic bar, and she is a pickpocket, and she decides to pickpocket whilst wearing a very colourful wig, which I think is a mistake. But let's let's move on. Uh, and what's her name? Do we ever find out her name? Yes, she's unlike the protagonist of Tenet. This protagonist has a name. She's called Subject Number Three. <laughs> no, I think she's called so, Kate, isn't she? Is she called Kate so, or so, Kate? Is I don't know. So how is? But she is, is called Kate, Subject Number Three. How is she abducted? Does he drug her drink or something? Or no, he sticks her in the net with a syringe, doesn't he? Isn't that what happens? Ah, right. Okay. And somehow I noted that she has she has a passing resemblance to Rihanna. From a Rihanna era where she had blue wigs. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that her hair was blue. Yeah. She was very, yeah. very similar. Yeah. She is not, I mean, she's white, though. She's white. Like everybody in the cast of this movie. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Don't get me started on that, Richard. However, somehow her assailant gets her out of her apartment, unconscious, and back to his bunker, his dungeon. Pete Doherty's dungeon. Welcome to Pete Doherty's dungeon, everybody. And she's now. This bit was the bit that I felt was most similar to Demon Seed, the nineteen seventy seven film about uh, a computer oh. and AI. Ah, uh, is this where somebody's impregnated? Yes, yes. The Tell inventor of the more. AI computer is takes a shot. This computer, which he keeps in his basement for some reason, it takes a shine to the inventor's wife. Uh, it impregnates her. It, well, it rapes her, and it impregnates her. It's perhaps not all that funny. But I remember watching it as a kid. It came out in 1977. I probably watched it on Channel 4 or something. It it was quite, I don't know, it was quite an erotic movie for young me. I should wow. perhaps watch it again before I make that admission. I'm sure it's okay. harrowing and unpleasant. So she wakes up in a birdcage, so to speak, doesn't she? And she's wearing a fetching COVID mask. Actually, a sort of bondage latex mask thing, along with two other... And there's an electrical... Yeah, there are two other people in there. You've forgotten them, hadn't you, Paul? Uh, I had. But there's an electrified fence, and presumably the smell of barbecues if they try to escape. Yes, they're kept... I don't... I mean, I don't know why it's electrified, because it is, after all, you know, a cell. I mean, they can't open the door, can they? It seems a bit unnecessary to electrify it's, it. It there does. It was electrified. Now, in the early 2000s, I, 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 I went into business. I had a, a business venture in China, of all places, where I opened a bar with a partner who was a, the local sleeping partner, so to speak. Uh, I, uh, I'm just going to stop you there and, and wonder, hmm. wonder aloud how on earth this is connected to kidnapping... Three people and keeping them in. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please don't. I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to be liable for anything I say from this moment. Okay. So my local partner was perhaps not the most savoury of characters, but could wade into any dispute with other unsavoury locals. So he was very proud because his one contribution to the bar was his design. His design. His, his I don't know what you call it. His styling. Styling. His design ethos. There we go. Which was to insert be- r- giant bird cages around the bar and have have naked dancers in them. So to, yeah, okay. he kind of announced that decision after he'd done it. So I was like, well, it wasn't really the kind of bar I was looking for. But, but, but you're stronger than me and have uh, much much more frightening friends than I. So so I'm probably going to agree with this, aren't I? You know. 
Was it the nudity that you objected to or the bird cages? I think it was more, yes, the extreme and express objectification of, of, of women by putting them in cages and asking them to dance for people, yeah. yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. Rather than the nakedness itself. Uh, the nakedness, I think, at this point is just icing on the cake, isn't it, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, they're not asked to dance in the movie, are they? They're not dancing. They are... What they've done, fighting. What's These three people are fighting. Yeah, they, they're going to make an escape. Somebody gets out with a very poor imitation lightsaber. Now, that's because Alex, our bad guy, is a tech guy and probably has some lightsabers from eBay in the house, doesn't he? Lightsabers? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that somebody has... I don't remember that. No, I remember, I remember them escaping. Well, there's a gimp fight between the three captives, isn't there? I remember them escaping using a bit of string or something but oh yeah that's right she pulls she pulls the gas main out of a large installation that's opposite the cell i don't why is there natural gas so she manages to yank the gas main out of that machine why is there like a gas main going into that machine i don't understand what's it doing I don't Did know, but at this up? point, my, my thought was like, this is like, you know, when you go to an escape room for a fun afternoon with your friends, and yes. there's yeah. an actual emergency, and, you know, you have to escape from an escape room in real life. It was like that, really. <laughs> well, she sets fire to the whole place and blows it up, so they have to run, don't they, at that point? Wow. And unfortunately... So this is, I've forgotten, this is like in the first 30 minutes, isn't it? She, she kind of nearly escapes Oh, it's very early place. in the movie, yeah. She nearly escapes, they can't... They can't get through the front door because it's palm print activated and they don't have his palms. Ah. So she gets to the inside of the front door, having blown up the building and can't get out because she doesn't have his bio key, so to speak. Meanwhile, her two fellow captives die in this escape attempt. I mean, I know she didn't know them very long, but she wasn't distraught for very long, was she, about it? She tried to hide the girl. Oh, I'm that... sure they were fighting each other, Richard. They did fight a little bit at the start, when before she convinced them that getting out was the best plan. Have you ever been to Universal Studios? Uh, yes. In fact, we've been together, haven't we, in Singapore? Together, yes, we went together, which is a strange admission to make. But yes, we have been to Universal Studios. Well, I've been to several Universal Studios, and I thought the best one was in Japan. So, but that's beside the point. Now, in every Universal Studios, there's that ride where you go on a pretend film set, and there's lots of explosions and lots of fire. Except the one in Singapore. Except the one in Singapore, disappointingly. And it was like that. The whole movie was like, oh my god, we're on a Universal Studios fire and sound effects ride, you know. It was, uh, everything was exploding and gas pipes uh, empty gas pipes were leaking flame kind of thing, which is just what you get at Universal Studios. Or the Fun House in Blackpool Pleasure Beach in 1988, but uh, but not by design, more by accident. Well, she manages to break the cell so that he can't keep her in there anymore. So he has to start keeping her kind of chained up to a bit of interior decor. It turns out he's got... Ah, this is after the point where John is home. Alex is home. So he comes through the front door after a busy day. That's right. And he, busy day at the office, being being brilliant. Whatever he does, yes. Well, he's a CEO, isn't he? Her accomplices were killed by that robot thing called Ares that folds away and looks like a modern art sculpture. Ah, I forgot all about this. The nightmare of this movie wasn't etched, or maybe was etched on my mind so much that I had to erase all memory of this. Yes. Okay, so what's the name of the AI? Well, the AI is called... 
and I'm surprised you have to ask this, because they must say this name 150 times during the course of the movie. The AI, AI is called Tau. It is called Tau, yes, thank you. Okay. And you were saying it, it is, it's, you were saying it can move around or something? Ah, no, that's the robot called Ares, which is never really very clear whether it's separate to Tau or whether it is Tau, because they play uh, it both ways, I think. There, at some points okay. in the movie, it seems to be operating on its own. So the, the story of this movie is she uh, agrees, kind of cooperates with this guy to a limited extent so that he can carry on getting these brainwave patterns out of her head. She doesn't realise that he's intending to have to euthanize her at the end of the process so he can get the final data out for some reason. Oh my god, Echoes of Moon. Indeed. Meanwhile, though, she befriends the AI Tao and starts teaching it about culture and art and things. Uh, she which, does. With now, which it, it yeah. is obsessed. So at this point, you get the imposter, the, the imposter conundrum. If Tao pretended to be Ares, it would just have to imitate Ares' voice, and Ares would just have to imitate Tao's voice in order for a human to think they were one and the same thing. So we'd never actually know fundamentally if they were the same thing or not the same thing. No, Ares doesn't speak. Ah, well, Ares doesn't speak. But if he did, then we wouldn't really know. And so it, there's an imposter syndrome going on here. And I thought when 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 uh, when Alex came, you know, said, Johnny's home and came through the door, I was struck by how he looked like other people too, strangely. He looked like one, Preston from The Ordinary Boys. He looked like two, <laughs> Morrissey from when Morrissey was good, from fit and good looking. And uh, three, he looked like the straight guy from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And four, he looked a bit like Clark Kent. And five, he looked a bit like Guy, who played the Doctor in Neighbours many years, many moons ago. Who's now a famous? Wow. Who's now a famous actor? Who did the the what's he called? Guy Pierce. Do you think it's possible, Paul, that your fantasizing your recognition, facial recognition, face space has now filled up with all possible spaces? So now everyone you see, you get recognition. <laughs> Because you must have seen nearly every type of human face by now, right? So I have. So yeah. now everyone gives some like distant level of connection to. That is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know how like you know whether we want to or not, all Asians do look the same to us. Uh, whether you know you can't change that. It's because we're not used to recognizing those kind of faces. Oh my and so god! Our, our facial recognition software just says, "Okay, it's an Asian rather than a person," kind of thing. Uh, but whether you consciously want to. I admit it or not, but that's it's been proven that's that's what happens. But I was on a bus in the middle of nowhere, I think it was Tibet, and I saw this Asian guy who looked like the Asian Bob Monkhouse. And I think that's when I realised that <laughs> I'd been exposed to enough Asian faces to see Bob Monkhouse in an Asian person. Yeah. So it is oh, a question Bob of exposure, Monkhouse, I think. Uh, yeah. The Bob Monkhouse threshold, yeah. It's a well-known yes, cycle. Bob Monkhouse, famous Bob Monkhouse threshold. Now, at this point, I became really bored in the movie, Richard. It's, you know, at this, point, at this point in my notes, my notes about the movie slowly kind of dissolve or, or, or evolve into what seems to be a runic system for a new efficient alphabet that I was designing. Paul, I'm very disappointed in you. I just want to explain why I say this is not a science fiction movie. Obviously, it's filled with robots and AI and stuff. Yeah. But really, it's set no more than five minutes into the future. This guy is like an Elon Musk kind of guy, isn't he? he he's just got he a lot is, of money. Yeah. 
He's got a fancy house that we only see the underground bits of with no windows. And he's got an AI system that he built himself, which is like a very poor version of Alexa, because it's not even connected to the internet. <laughs> it isn't, no. So Echoes of Ex Machina here, the whole setup. Yeah, but you know, much like, less uh, accomplished, isn't convincing, it? Convincing, you know, yeah. Even she calls it out when he relents and sort of makes it sort of gives a dinner and stuff and she sits down. She refers to Tao as like a cleaning robot, which is basically all Tao can do is initiate the cleaning drones to go out and tidy up. Well, yeah, yeah. Which consists of a whole load of tiny little flying drones that can also roll around on the floor. I mean, they're about the size of a baseball or a golf ball, so they must have really tiny hoover bags in them. So, what you're suggesting there's 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 a failed circularity in, in Alex's Alex's reasoning for having the AI. You know, I need to develop the AI. To develop the AI, I need to kidnap people and kill them and euthanize them later. So, I need an AI that takes care of that and cleans them up. So, I need to develop an AI to do that kind of thing. I think he's got lost. He got lost in terms of what he wants his AI ultimately to do. It's, now it's just to cover its its own tracks, isn't it? It's to keep it secrets. That's all his AI can do. It's, it's, it's not connected to the internet and keep itself secret. I mean, why is he downloading people's brainwaves anyway? Is he trying to get emotions out so he can put them into his new AI? When a girl speaks to Tao for a while and gives him yeah. information like from the books in his library, or yeah. I suppose the alternative would have been to connect connect him to the internet. You know, he develops this kind of richer personality without having to download people's brains. What's going on here, Paul? I don't understand I, the technology I don't know. Well, at this point, I don't know. At this point, I decided to design a new alphabet. Well, it's interesting that they call this movie and the AI Tau, isn't it? Which, of course, is the Greek letter T. Ah, well, my new alphabet doesn't look like that. My new alphabet looks like Arabic written the right way. <laughs> the right way. <laughs> Sorry, you mean to left be, or right? Sorry to be culturally, culturally inflexible <laughs> about that. Uh, but I thought you were going to ask about my new alphabet. Is it more efficient than the alphabet? I thought you were going to ask me that. Yeah, I am going to ask you if it's more efficient than our alphabet. I think so. Yeah, like I've got a system whereby uh, it's like consonant and vowel clusters, and and all consonants can be described by a single horizontal stroke with differing differing inflections and all vowels can be described by a single vertical stroke with different inflections so so it, it's very repetitive and looks a bit like binary code but i think it is quicker to write than our alphabet yeah yeah i'm quite pleased with it actually so they say you know the, the mother of invention is necessity i don't think it is the mother of invention is 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 tedious boredom dicking around yeah, yeah i see expose people to tau and lockdown movies and and creativity you will find so at this well, point, Tao we should, I is... have, yeah, I haven't, sorry to interrupt, but I have no more notes about Tao from this point on, so I'm going to have to wing it. So please continue. So can you describe what the equivalent for the letter T is in your alphabet? Again, oh. this is another perfect audio, audio uh, sort of piece, isn't it? I don't know how long I had to do this, but it seems, I, I went through several evolutions of this, this runic script. Uh, the final, oh, I, the final one, I do have a T, yes. It's a short horizontal line with a little kind of hook at the end. Okay. Yeah. Like, but like a T on its side. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, but like a T on its side. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. You've invented the ninety degree rotation. I have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a Greek T, a tau. Yes. Is like a T, but it's curlier, isn't it? It is like a T, but curlier. Yes. 
it's fancy. I would go to see it. It's like continental. <laughs> continental is a word we're going to be able to use again now after Brexit. In the same way that in the 60s and 70s, a duvet was called a continental quilt. And fancy things were, that weren't like tripe and cow heel were continental. We can use that word again, can't we? We could. We've reclaimed continental as a, a word for exotica. Exotica, yes, yes. Road trips. Road trips to the Riviera, here we come. Now, I, I had a problem with this. Like, the, the Tao was, like, shouting, Alex, Alex, put your shoes on kind of thing. I mean, Tao was a very bossy, controlling servant AI, I thought, you know. He was like a British butler. Well, it was Gary Oldman, wasn't it? Oh, was it? it Gary Oldman? Okay. Alex, as a CEO, had very prosaic taste in wine. Chateau de Sancerre Rouge. You know, it's expensive, but not very wowy, is it, really? I'm glad you looked up that wine as well. Or did you already know it? Is it part of the I already knew wine? it, yeah. yeah. I see. It's, it's, it's like a tomahawk steak, you know. It's like... Ooh, the food that they were eating in their lockdown was quite interesting, wasn't it? Was it? Was it not just sushi? Well... I'm guessing it was sushi. Well, no, he ordered from Tao. Oh, no. When he came home the first time, Tao tells him what's for dinner. And it was... Yeah. It was chili and sea bass, wasn't it? Was it? Wow. Chili and sea bass. It was, it, it was served in that kind of rectilinear, like that cuboid shape. It's all very nouveau cuisine style. <laughs> and Alex was, I don't know. Alex was quite a bland, bland sociopath, wasn't he? It was quite, quite a challenge for the actor playing Alex, you know. You can imagine the director say, you know, be blank and effectless, effectless if you can. Tone it, tone it down, tone it down. You know, tone it down, yeah. no, no, blanker, please. No, 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 less reactions, please, you know. Well done, yeah, we can go with that one. I mean, oh, gosh, I mean. Well, he had to have shallow affect, didn't he? Because he did, he's yes. portraying a psychopath. That's the thing. Yes. I mean, he was a psychopath. And a sociopath, yeah. I think the subject is he was a psychopath and a sociopath, yeah. yeah. Have you ever done the uh, hair psychopath test? Of course, yes. Oh, and what what was the result? (laughs) Well, I did it because I was was trolling about 10 years ago. Uh, I I was trolling on a business site. And uh, we got into talking about... Yeah, it's a thing we did 10 years ago, Rich, where you, you, you wrote insincere, humorous comments that you didn't believe in just to make people angry. Okay, okay. I'm familiar and with so the I was concept, doing, yes. I was, just... I, was, I was doing that on a business site, and uh, actually the opinions I was writing in were one of my students. My student had just written me. Uh, I was They'd just written a an economic kind of press about his economic ideas, and I, I just wholesale copied his ideas into into the comments section that I was that I was that I was I was trolling. And of course somebody happened to have PhD in whatever kind of psychiatric science and was very familiar with DSM and proceeded to psychoanalyze me on the basis of my students' comments, which I thought was rather funny. So I was already kind of I already had a notch up on the yes I'm winning the troll here kind of thing. And accused me of being highly narcissistic uh, and sociopathic and potentially psychopathic. Uh, and then having really insulted me kind of Claw it back by saying, "Well, you could be a good CEO because they're like that too." Not knowing, that, ah. of course, he was talking about my students uh, rather than myself, like my, my own, my own imprint or, or whatever you know, psychological imprint that I left through the text that he'd analysed. So, therefore, I decided to take the test anyway to see if I was uh, a sociopath or psychopath. And and what's the name of the test? You just named it. I forgot what it was called. It's the hair, isn't it called the hair psychopath test? But uh, I, I presume. I think passed. I scored. <laughs> I think I scored like 
not not a worrying you are a psychopath level, but kind of middling toward being on that spectrum. So so yeah. Yeah, well, you mentioned this idea, this concept that's come about that CEOs are tending toward the psychopath end on that scale. I think that's grossly overstated. I mean, I'm sure they probably do have traits similar to that in some cases, but psychopathy is a pathological, psychological condition that these people can't function properly because they don't... A a true psychopath doesn't consider the consequences of their outcomes, so they don't get on in life because, you know, they do things very impulsively. It doesn't make them successful. So you're saying they're easily recognisable? Well, yes, I I think they are easily recognisable because they would be the kind of people you would have to avoid. But also, they're just not very effective in life. Yeah. The the other myth here is that they're highly intelligent. I think this stems from Silence of the Lambs. And, of course, I think most studies have shown that most people with diagnosed clinical psychopathy have, have relatively, on average, relatively lower IQs than the average population. So so it's interesting. The other thing in relation to IQ and CEOs, therefore, the third, the third stage of this wheel, is the idea that CEOs are, you know, high IQ individuals typically then they're higher iq but they're not uh they're not in the high iq on average taken as a whole you know obviously there are exceptions like bill gates and zuckerberg but most ceos are very highly functioning rather than highly intelligent but do have higher than average intelligence so there's lots of myths surrounding ceos i think and it's interesting to to unpack some of it i don't understand what the business policy of this guy's industry was i mean what he has these meetings, these video conference meetings with his other members of his board. And it seems that... Yeah, with the other COs, yeah. They're yeah. all very exercised about this project as if something depends on it. But he's already got this extremely... He's already very wealthy. He's got this big house and can afford to build a private lab in his basement. Well, they threaten him, don't they? The other COs, the, the other CXOs say, hey, we're going to sack you unless you come up with the goods on this one, Alex. Do some work. And it's it's weird that they're so dependent on Alex. I mean, Alex doesn't seem to be particularly brilliant. Uh, so why can only he in the world do this? I don't know. Well, it's because, as I mentioned, this isn't a sci-fi movie and he's not using technology. This is a sorcerer who's captured, you know, the Virgin and stuff. And he's draining her life force for his golem or whatever, isn't it? Uh, you know, Ares the robot is a literal golem. And... What underlined it for me is the scene toward the oh, end. Oh, yeah, he's you got really re- hit the nail on the head there, yeah. yeah. He's got to rebuild his lab because uh, the gold blew it up. And he's he gets all this stuff shipped in from Amazon or whatever. <laughs> and they deliver it all. And he's <laughs> ah, yes, rebuilding this- the delivery guy. I forgot about that. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, the delivery guy. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, continue. The Sorcerer's Apprentice. He's downstairs in the basement and he's rebuilding the computer system. Yeah, and he's got a panel open, and one of the uh, drones, one of Tao's drones, flies near him, and he picks it out of the air and regards it, and he takes off one of the propellers that are on, on either side of it, like little wings, yeah, and he puts it into the rack mount system, and closes the panel as if that's finished it. This is literally wing of bats, Paul. It it's is a spell. He's just cast a spell. Wing of bat, yeah. He's yeah. taken a bit of Tau and put it in his new computer. 
I mean, I suppose you might argue he's maybe it's a fan, a cooling system fan or something. No, I don't know. That's well, I'm not going to argue that. It's just nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. And he, because he tosses the injured drone aside, and it becomes critical to her escape later because the little injured thing flies over and releases her when he's when he's cackling over her on the operating table about to kill her later on. So let's cut to the chase. Uh, but yeah, it's pure fantasy, isn't it? Let's cut to the chase. I mean, so all this goes on pretty much interminably. She tries to progressively escape again, doesn't she? And win the trust of of the AI Tao. And then eventually she manages to get out at the end, doesn't she? She manages to get out onto the ladder and then decides she's got to go back and rescue Tao because Tao's being deleted by the guy. But she blows the place up again. Is that how she gets out again? I've forgotten what, how she gets out. Yeah, Tao had told her that what's in Alex's bedroom upstairs... It's the only time oh, she ever went upstairs. It's a self-destruct button. Is self-destruct, yeah, which of course everyone would have. Yeah. <laughs> so she presses a self-destruct, then can't get out of the house because she doesn't have Alex's fingerprint, so she chops his hand off. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I must admit, the moment I saw that hand panel, I said to myself, I probably wrote it down, someone's hand is gonna get chopped off before the end of this movie. <laughs> And it's Alex's. So and then she's like carrying this hand up 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 again to, to open the door. And then five minutes later he turns up without his arm, chasing after her, you know, like a zombie. <laughs> Not dripping blood at all, which uh, at this point any disbelief of suspense any suspensive any suspensive disbelief was was kind of like I, I it had flown through the window, I think, with the drones at this point, hadn't it? It's time to do scores, Paul. It is. So, did we spoil it for everybody? I think we've... Well, as much as you can spoil this movie, she gets captured, she spends a while being experimented on, she trains uh, an AI to appreciate classical music, and then she blows the place up and runs yeah, away. Yeah, gives her the key. Yeah. So, <laughs> you're right. Sorcerer's Apprentice, uh, Echoes of Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, it wasn't really a sci-fi movie, was it? As we say. So, what Shut would down. you give it for... Acting. The protagonist or patient or uh, subject number three, I thought was quite Subject convincing. number three. Yeah. Hmm, I agree. She, you know, she did a working job and, and, and performed performatively in the spirits of uh, the beyond. Performatively. She was performatively an actor. I, I would say seven, really. And Gary Oldman, he uh, puts up a good show as well. Obviously, he raises the, the tone of the whole thing. Yeah, famous AI voices. Yeah. Famous, AI, famous AI voiceovers, I would say. Gary's right up there with the other guy that did it on, on the moon. Uh, Kevin Spacey. Yes, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. So, a seven from me. Yeah, a seven. I, will, I won't diverge from that score. Now. So, how about the science? Oh, well, I mean, what is there to say? Shonky AI that's already outdated. <laughs> already beaten by Alexa, yeah. Fluttery little drones that uh, I've seen elsewhere. Uh, a trainable AI that you'd think would have been programmed not to believe or talk to captives, you know. I can only say two and a half, really, and I feel that's generous. Richard, what did you feel? Hmm. Any, any any particular bugbears for you? It's all a bit silly, isn't it? I, it is, I don't yeah. understand anything about how this business is supposed to work or what he's really developing or why he needs to put chips in people's brains and then kill them. The science is crackers, so I think... The drone swarm is the best bit about the all yes. those little yeah. drones when they're flying around. Because that's a real thing. But uh, I'll give it a three for the science. What's your score, Richard? 
Three. Three. I mean, the problem for me is, like, there's no... Uh, in terms of the plot, I mean, all she has to do is talk to the AI, you know? I mean, what's the... What choices is she making to not talk to the AI? And she talks to the AI and, and wins its trust. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's there's any choices to be made in, in, in how to get out of there, or there's no discovery or insight, is there? It's just, oh, talk to the AI and you'll get out eventually. I mean... I don't really what, understand what what's going on. What is the message? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. the What's the message behind this film? And they've got this strange, as I mentioned, we should come back to it. This weird thing about the robot Ares. Is it separate from Tau or is it not? Because there's that moment where he commands Tau. He says to Tau, "Hit her," and it's Ares, the robot, who strikes her. Ah, uh, that's when right. She's yeah. On the floor. Yeah. But at other times, it seems like Ares is acting independently of Tau. So I found that very confusing. Also, they committed the cinema crime of having vents big enough to crawl through. <laughs> she she goes through a vent, doesn't she, to try to escape. But they did avert it a little bit because the way they didn't stab knives through the vents this time. Actually, it turns out that Atlas can, oh, sorry, Atlas, Ares can shrink down and crawl through the vent itself. So that was quite good. But for the plot, hmm, I think we're around about four again, aren't we? I'm at a three on this one, yeah. Yeah. Special effects and stuff. action. Yeah. Action and yeah. special effects. Uh did it hold my attention? No. Like I said, there was no I mean there was no differentiation in terms of I I don't I don't see how her actions affected the outcome. I mean, you were always gonna to talk to the AI. So it wasn't there was there was no critical point where she had to discover a certain way to speak to the AI and act differently as a result of that. So, so there was no real there was no real reason to have the action apart from the fact it's going to happen whilst while she, while she gets the AI to win her trust. There's going to be action happening, kind of thing. So it didn't really make sense in terms of in terms of outcomes to have any action. That was my main problem with it. Why why is the action occurring? Why couldn't she just talk to the AI, AI and not try to get out? while she wins its trust. And so for me, the action didn't work in terms of outcomes and eventualities in the plot. The special effects weren't bad. I mean, they were good, the I would robots say. robots were okay. Ex- explosion at the very end, I didn't like very much. I think it's probably worth a six. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is that the stage and scenery and props fitted in with the special effects quite well you know i kind of liked his sleek minimalist house and i kind of it fitted in with with the coordinated drones and, and that kind of stuff and yeah i'm gonna give it a five or six for special effects i think the explosions were okay you know they were they were they were good enough for a for a universal movie land kind of experience so yeah i'm gonna give it a six for that so overall for this movie it's a four a dud a dull and dud thought four i think do you know what i think it's a bit better than the sum of all of its parts ah. i think I, I didn't mind it yeah maybe i was quite turned on by the, the weird bondagey bits at the beginning and masks i'll give it i'll give it a six ah okay so kind of a recommend from you there richard yeah Worth seeing, I guess. As long as you're not expecting... You're over the five cusp, aren't you? You know. Yeah, only just, though. Only just. I'm sure there are there are definitely better things to watch. In the spirit of the beyond, uh, mine is a definite un- disrecommending uh, a four out of ten. I would say don't waste your time with this one. Find something else on Netflix. So, it brings us to next week's choice, Richard. 
Okay. Well, I was somewhat prepared for this because I knew, A, it was my go, and B, Uh you wouldn't have any idea. Uh, So I'm going to suggest, and saying that, I don't really know very much about this film. So what I'm going to suggest is that we watch The Vast of Night. The Vast of Night? The Vast of Night. Now, for me and for our listeners, what can we have a quick introduction to this movie, Richard? In the 1950s, two children search for the source of a mysterious frequency that has descended on their town. Wow. Oh, I'm getting echoes here of a different movie. What's that movie about the the blonde-haired kids in Devon that take over a village? Blonde-haired kids in Devon? Yeah, they, they may or may not be aliens, and the army has to seal Stepford off the village. Wives? No? No, no. But anyway, back to your movie. The Veil of Night, is this what it's called? The Vast of Night. The Vast of Night. Starting with the forgetting the name of the movie early, I see. <laughs> <laughs> the vast. Maybe you should okay. write it down, perhaps. Yeah. How about that? Or perhaps I should email it to you. <laughs> I'm going to write it down. Now, okay. So the vast of night. Can you begin your proceed one more time, and I won't interrupt. Okay. Off you in go. the 1950s, in the 1950s, two children search for the source of a mysterious frequency that has descended on their town. Is that it? Oh, that's what you're telling me. Yes. Okay. So you're not going to tell us how it ends. No. I, I, no. I've not seen it yet. Okay. And where is this available? I believe it's available on Amazon Prime. And is it a recent movie? 2019. Oh, wow. God, we got another modern thing to watch. Great. Yeah, all of these have been, you know, brand new, haven't they? Recently. And one more thing without revealing too much. How has it generally been received by audiences, Richard, so far? This is a lot more information than... It's got 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh my gosh, it looks like this could be a good one. I think it's generally well received. It's generally well received. Yeah, I think we deserve it, don't we? Yes, we need to treat ourselves after after all these ready meals that we've had. All right then, so that's all for this week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. The Vast, or the Veil of Night. No, The Vast yes. of Night. <laughs> cue music. Sorry, cue music. In three, In three two, two, one. one. Thank you.